there's some lessons that you look forward to. This is one of those I've been looking forward to. This is the final of the minor prophets that I will be preaching from in this series of lessons. About two years ago, I began a series of lessons on the minor prophets, working them in periodically. And uh, tonight, we're going to begin our final study of the book of Zechariah. And I will tell you that as you approach certain books of the Bible, some of them are more challenging and difficult, not just for you, but for the preacher as well. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you go to the Old Testament, there are some books that really require you to focus your mind. Books like the book of Daniel, particularly after you get past the first couple of chapters. Other books like parts of the book of Ezekiel and the book of Zechariah, as like when you come to the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And what makes Zechariah so challenging is the fact that he uses symbols and figurative language with which you and I are not familiar. There's a lot of the choices that he used which was very common to those people but are not as common to us today. If you would, I'd like to just give you a sample of what I'm trying to talk about. In the very first chapter, in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he said, I saw by night and behold a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. And you can say, wow, you've got horses, you've got angels, you've got those of different colors. What does it mean to talk about the red horse or the sorrel horse or the white horse? Why among the myrtle trees? Why do you have these figures? You see... They can be challenging to us. But I do believe that you can study a book and learn the meaning of it even though you may not be able to unravel all of the specific details of it. I remember a long time ago when I was in a class in college and we were studying the book of Revelation and a man by the name of G.B. Caird wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation and the thing that stood out in my mind of that whole book was one phrase that he used, and that was, don't try to unravel the rainbow. Look up and appreciate the, all of the hues, all of the colors that are there, and how they stand together, and don't always try to unravel the individual colors out of that rainbow. And I think that's valuable as we begin to study the book of Zechariah. I will tell you that as you approach the book, there are several different ways in which a person might be able to study it. For instance, you might study it topically. That is, there are various topics in the book of Zechariah that are valuable, that are important, and you can look at the themes that are in that book and then primarily pull out the messianic theme. 
I will tell you, that's going to be the approach that we're going to use in the lesson tonight. You could study it textually. That is, giving attention to the various sections and some of the lessons that are to be learned from it. And that also is very beneficial. And Lord willing, three weeks from tonight, that's what we're going to study. Next Sunday night will be our questions and answers. Two weeks from tonight will be the tabs. And so the next lesson is going to be three weeks, which is going to give each of you plenty of time to read the book of Zechariah about five times so that when we go to it, you're going to know it just immediately and know it well. The last way that one could study is an exposition where you take a section, you read it, you begin to digest it and what it says. But I will tell you that that approach is very easy to get lost in the detail where you begin to ask about the color of this horse or the various trees. But I want to tell you tonight uh, that there is the first approach is going to be to look at two things from these chapters, 14 chapters. We're going to look at the aim of the book. What was the purpose behind it? What objective did God have to choose Zechariah to reveal this message? I think that can be discerned quite easily from the book. Number two, I want us to talk about the angels and their answers. And I believe that as we study through the lesson, you will hopefully appreciate that approach tonight. The next lesson is going to deal with the eight visions, the four messages, and the two burdens. Chapters 1 through 6 will look at eight visions. Chapters 7 and 8 will look at the four messages. And then finally, the, the last section, 9 through 14, will look at the two burdens. So let's talk about the aim of the message and then the angels. What is the purpose, the objective of the book of Zechariah? Is it just there to fill up another little portion of the Old Testament? What, for instance, difference is there between the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah because both of them prophesied together? Well, I would suggest to you the best thing for us to do to appreciate this is to look at the historical context. And to do that, I want you to begin with me. Is Let's look at chapter 1. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. We're going to see the time in which this occurred and the troubles that were a part of it. In the eighth year of the or eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, the Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Now, for a moment, let me pause right here. Darius the king dates it and gives us the period of time in which this occurs. This is after the exile. This is after the children of Israel have returned back to the promised land. They have laid the foundation of the temple, and so that tells you but it says, the Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Then beginning with verse 3, going through verse 6, is what Brother Aiden read to us just a few moments ago. About God saying, return to me and I'll return to you. But I want you to just notice a phrase. The Lord of hosts. 
We read over that phrase so often. The Lord of hosts. Do you know what the host is? The host is the armies. God has been angry with Israel. God has been angry with his people. And he has called them to account. And he is saying, return to me and I will return to you. The last part of verse 6. According to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. They recognized they deserved what they got. and They recognized the time in which they were in and the trouble that they had found themselves. Now to understand the parallel, you need to go to the book of Ezra. And we're going to just briefly touch Ezra 1, Ezra 4, and Ezra 5. As you begin with Ezra chapter 1, you find that Cyrus, the king of Persia, in 536 B.C., told the children of Israel, you can go back home. In fact, it says that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying... And then what he does, he commands them to go back to Jerusalem to build the Lord's house as he had commanded them. And if you will look at the last part of verse 5, he says, With all whose spirits God had moved, arose up to go and to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. God pushed, God used Cyrus to turn the children of Israel back to their homeland and to encourage them to build. And the people took that as a great time, a great incentive to do that. But you see what happens immediately after they get back is there's some people who do not like what's happening. You go to Ezra chapter 4 and you look at the first few verses. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel... They came to Zerubbabel, and uh, what they're saying is, let us build with you. We seek your God as you do, but the truth is, they didn't. These were not Israelites. They were not Jews. They were people who had been brought into the land. And the response of Zerubbabel was, you may do nothing with us to build a house for the Lord our God, but we alone will build... Uh, to the Lord our God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Now look at what follows from this in verse 4. But the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building, hired counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius. Oh, you, you see now where Darius comes in? You have from the time that the foundation of the temple was laid for a period of 16 years, 536 to 520, nobody's doing anything because of the frustration of these people. And so the Lord responded. You get to Ezra chapter 5, and I want you to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we'll look at chapter 6 and verse 14. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. 
So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Oh, I see Zechariah's role now. He, along with Haggai, were there to stir the people up, to get them moving. Get to chapter 6 and verse 14. So the elders of the Jews built... And they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel, according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. They did what God wanted them to do. So I see the background is the temple needed to be built. God raised up Haggai. He raised up Zechariah. Just a few weeks ago, we studied Haggai. And we looked at God's command for them to build, the command to believe, and then the command to behave. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Or chapters 1 and 2 and then splitting chapter 2. Well, why call Zechariah? What's the purpose of his message? How does he differ, for instance, than Haggai? Haggai's wasn't written in... um, symbolic terms it was pretty straightforward well what God wants to say through Zechariah is that Zion and Jerusalem is special to God in fact it's important to him and he wants him to understand that they're loved and they're appreciated look with me in Zechariah 1 14 so the angel who spoke with me said to me Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. God says, I'm, I'm really interested. You get to verse 16. I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built, and it says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched over Jerusalem. And again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My city shall be again be spread throughout spread out through prosperity. The Lord again will comfort Zion and he will again choose Jerusalem. Chapter 8, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. God wanted them to know through Zechariah that he was interested in them. I want you to think in your mind, what if God were to reveal a message to say, You people at Vibe Branch, you're important to me. You are special to me. I care about you. I want things to go well with you. That's the role that Zechariah had. Of course, just like Haggai, he had a message. You need to get busy building that temple. In chapter 8 and verse 9, as well as back as chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, let your hands be strong You have been hearing in these days the words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day of the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. In chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he said, Zerubbabel laid the foundation, he's going to finish it. And he tells him in verse 10, Who has despised the day of small things? Don't look at this as being something small and insignificant. And yet, God has a greater thing in mind for Jerusalem and Zion. 
You know, it, it might be easy to get to thinking in your mind, God just wanted these people to be focused on the building of the temple because that was going to provide them a place to worship. It was going to give them a place of identity. But I want you to listen to chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, a man whose name is Branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory. He shall sit on and rule on his throne, and he shall be a priest on his throne, and the counsel of his peace shall be between them both. If you have not figured out yet, the branch is Jesus Christ. The temple which he built is the church. Just like he said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So the aim of the book of Zechariah, putting it in its historical context, is to rebuild that physical temple that Zerubbabel laid the foundation of, and Zerubbabel would finish but it was also to visualize the coming of the great temple of God which will be built by His Son, Jesus Christ. Now I've got to tell you, as I was writing my lawnmower and I listened to the book of Zechariah once, twice, three times, four times, I said, I've got to deal with the angels of the book of Zechariah. In fact, there are several angels mentioned, but there are two that are very important. The first one is the phrase that you will see repeated over and over again, the angel who spoke with me. If you read chapters 1 through 6, you'll see that, you'll see that, you'll see that, you'll see that. You'll say, is there something significant about that angel? Sometimes in the commentaries they call him the interpreting angel. The second angel that appears in this book is called the angel of the Lord. And that is begging for us to be able to study and try to understand. Who are they? What are they communicating? Well, let's begin first of all with the angel who spoke with me. And if you go to chapters 1 through 6, you can count them. Eleven times. And the angel who spoke with me said, and the angel who spoke with me said, and the angel who spoke with me, it just appears over and over again. What he did was provided the prophet with instructions and explanation of the visions. I want you to imagine here you are, just like we looked at in chapter 1, verses 8 and following, here he's given a vision. What does he see? He sees horses, a red horse, white horse, sorrel horse, another red horse. They're in the middle of the myrtle trees. There's a man behind them. And he asks, well, who are these? I want you to look with me at verse 9 and verse 19. And then I said, my Lord, what are these? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. Look at verse 19. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? So he answered me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. This 
angel who talked with me is the one who is helping the prophet understand. And guess who else he helps? He helps me. Because had the angel who spoke with Zechariah not explained, then I would have been just like him. I wouldn't have gotten the message either. The second thing to notice about him is that his purpose is to provide some encouragement and some comfort. Look with me at chapter 1 and verse 13. And the Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good and comforting words. Here's an angel who's to give you a message. And I will tell you sometimes the message that the angels delivered was not very pleasant. Do you remember John in the book of Revelation that he was given a book and he ate it up and he said it tasted good in my mouth but it, we would say, soured in his stomach. Once he digested the contents of it, it wasn't very good because he didn't like what was going to be happening to God's people. But here the words that the angel who spoke with him provided were good words, comforting words, reassuring words so that Zechariah could have some encouragement. That also is good for me. Because sometimes I find myself like the children of Israel did, not doing what God wants me to do, and I find there are consequences to that. I find out that when I disappoint God, God allows me to suffer the consequences of my bad decisions. But I recognize God still loves me and God still cares and God still wants me to be saved just like the prodigal son did his father. I will remind you that angels were the medium God frequently used to be able to communicate to his prophets and to his people. For instance, in the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, he's talking about the Old Testament law and he said, it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Appointed through angels. Acts 7 verse 53, who have not kept the law by the direction of angels, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Or Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2, for if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast. Now I could provide several more passages, but I don't think those illustrate the point I'm trying to make. The angel who spoke with me was an important angel because he provided information, he provided interpretation, and he provided encouragement for Zechariah. Now let me focus for just a minute on the angel of the Lord. Scripture frequently associates the angel of the Lord with deity. And you can say, what do you mean by that? The angel of the Lord, as you look at it throughout Scripture, and I'm only going to be providing you just a few Scriptures with this. You can look up many more if you so desire. Let me take you like, for instance, Genesis 16, verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. You drop down to verse 13. And then she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Here have I also seen him who sees me. 
You see, she looked at the angel of the Lord in Genesis chapter 16 and said, I've seen the Lord. But that's not clear enough. Go to Genesis 22, verses 11 and 12. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not held your son, your only son, from me. Who was it that spoke? The angel of the Lord. With whom did he not withhold him? And it was from the Lord. You want to be even a little plainer? You go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, verse 4. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. You see, what you observe from that is is that the angel of the Lord was deity. Because of being deity, he was expected to be obeyed and he also could pardon sin. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Now, I want you to notice, talking about pardoning of sins, according to Mark 2, 7, who can forgive sins but God alone? So the angel of the Lord mentioned there must also refer to him. And yet I know it can't be just a normal angel. Because a normal angel is unworthy of being worshipped. Revelation chapter 22 verses 8 and 9. There was an angel who spoke to John. You see the distinction the angel who spoke with me, there's an angel who speaks with John. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am a fellow servant with your, your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And I can see in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, as he talks about Jesus getting a better name than them and the fact that all those angels are to bow down and worship him and that the angels themselves are merely servants, ones who've been sent forth to do service for those who will inherit salvation. So who must this be? I'd suggest to you that the text would demand that it be Jesus the Christ. And you say, what do you mean by that? Look with me at Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 12. And the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts. Stop right there. The angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts. You have the angel of the Lord addressing the Lord of hosts. And he says, How long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem? and on the cities of Judah, and against those with whom you were angry these 70 years. 
It's just like John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or John chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Notice, you have the Father, you have Jesus, and you're going to send another, the Helper, who's going to be the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. You have three persons in the Godhead. And I believe that it's quite plain in this passage that it referred to Jesus. Now, the book of Zechariah is important. Its message was important. God wanted the children of Judah to understand. And I need to understand it as well so I can learn from it. The people not only needed a rebuke, the people needed encouragement. I tried to think about the best way to describe Haggai and Zechariah together. It may be a very crude illustration, but I'm going to call it good cop, bad cop. Haggai comes along and says, the reason why you people are not getting ahead, the reason why you're, you've got pockets with holes in them, bags with holes in them, the reason why you're not getting ahead is because you're not obeying God. Zechariah comes on and says, yes, you've not obeyed God, but God still loves you. And God still wants to save you. There are times when we have to have a message that condemns who we are and the way we're living. We need Haggai's message. But we also need the message of Zechariah. And we must still listen to the angel of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 1, 1 and 2, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the worlds. We still listen to the Son whom God has appointed for us to listen. I hope that that has stimulated some interest in your mind as we will prepare to study the book of Zechariah in three weeks. But I do want to emphasize to you this evening that God does love you. God cares about you. In fact, He cared so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die for you. And what God is looking for in each of us is a willing spirit that says, I recognize my mistakes, I recognize my sins, I want to come to God and be saved from them. You come in repentance, you come and be baptized, and the Lord will save you of your sins. But Judah was already God's people. And sometimes those of us who are God's children... Those whom God loves so dearly, we choose the wrong things. And we have to learn, I've got to correct them for God to forgive them. Tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, would you come while we stand and while we sing?